Yeah, like Brett said, my name is Jeremy, and uh, we came on staff back in 2017. Those of you who are new, we planted the campus in 18. We met at the high school, and then, yeah, like Brett said, a couple of years into that, we had some great momentum, but COVID hit, and so we were like this nomadic Israelite tribe, just kind of moving around from space to space, yard to yard, because no one would let us meet inside their buildings like like everyone else, and so we uh, just kept meeting on people's properties, and then in 2021, January of 21, we got a space available uh, to us. It was the old AT&T building, so we renovated it, we gutted it, and uh, built it into a church. It was this cool warehouse feel uh, in Patterson, and we draw from all over. We have people from Crow's Landing and Newman, Augustine, and Tracy. People come from Dublin and Livermore. We even have we even had a couple of families that were coming from San Jose uh, every week. They were driving, they were making that drive to Patterson because they said, "Hey, we're thinking." about buying in the Patterson area, and we want to find a church first. And so God is doing amazing things in Patterson. So thank you. I want to, I want to say thank you uh, for all your support, all your prayer for support, your financial support, uh, because you are changing lives in the Patterson community, on the west side, all right, uh, in the hills, all right, you, you are making a huge difference. Our, uh, we're growing spiritually, numerically, our baptisms are up, our baby dedications are up, we have all sorts. Uh, I tell our campus all the time, if you're not going to bring them in, we're going to breed them in, all right? We see our, 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 our baby, our de- baby dedications go up uh, all the time, so we're excited about that. But thank you so much for this opportunity to come and uh, share God's word with you today. Uh, we are still in the book of Proverbs. We're in our summer series about wise up, uh, which is basically about pursuing godly wisdom. And as a reminder, these are not promises, okay? These are wise sayings, but they are very true, that if we apply them appropriately to our lives, they can bring us a lot of peace. They can bring us a lot of direction. They can bring us us a lot of guidance. And the book of Proverbs can also posture our hearts in alignment with the heart of Jesus. Thinking all the way back to week one, I still love the fact that when asked by God, Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for a good life. He didn't ask for a high-paying job or favor with people or to max out his 401k or the best spouse in the land. But instead, with humility, he said, just give me wisdom. God, I just want to lead your people well. Solomon was acknowledging in that moment, hey, this is not about me. This is about you. I am your servant, God. I don't want to mess this thing up. I want to lead your people well. I am here for you. So the only thing I'm asking for, God, is wisdom. So today we're talking about the contrast, this conflict between living a life driven by pride and living a life driven by humility. But first, let's all stand. We're going to read our key scripture for this series. I'm just going to read it. Um, as you stand uh, to save us some time. Proverbs chapter one says this, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. 
Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Father, thank you so much for your words. Father, I pray now that you will speak through your servant to your people and that we will leave here different. We will leave here transformed. We will leave here changed because of you. In your name, amen. You may be seated. 93 million, 93 million selfies are taken around the world every day. 93 million. That's 34 billion selfies taken each year. And if you have teenagers, you're saying, that's it? My, my own kids take up half that number, right? That, I, I guess we're living in a day and age where we forget what we look like. So we just have to constantly be taking pictures of ourselves. I mean, what are we setting up our future for? Okay, I think it's going to look something like this. Check out this video. Get to know the old people, man. Because the new old people that are coming are going to be the worst old people we've ever had. We've got, <laughs> got some terrible old people coming, man. 50 years from now, old people now still have stories. You ever sit with an old person and look at their photos? Every photo's got a story. What's this, Grandma? Here is a picture of your great-grandfather standing beside Charles Lindbergh before he flew across the Atlantic. First ever transatlantic flight in history. That's an amazing story. Can you imagine listening to the stories of old people's photos 50 years from now? How terrible that experience is going to be? What's this, Grandma? Here is a picture of my breakfast. <laughs> what? What a breakfast. And here are some shoes I once thought about buying. <laughs> and here is the wing of a plane. <laughs> and here is the weather forecast. <laughs> Here is a picture of your great-grandmother staring at herself in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> and here are 12 more of that exact same photo. That's so true, isn't it? And now we have what's called selfie fails. Have you heard of these? People that have failed trying to get a selfie. People have been arrested because of their selfie. They take a picture of themselves. Here's me shoplifting, you yeah. know. And then the police show up, here's you going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Students have lost scholarships because of their selfies. When I was a youth pastor in the state of Colorado, we had four girls, on this, they're seniors on the basketball team at our local high school. And when you sign that application to that school, you're giving them permission to stalk your social media pages. And four girls lost their scholarships because of inappropriate pictures and underage drinking because of their selfies. Employees have been fired because you know you're calling in the work sick and then you go to the beach and you take a picture of yourself enjoying the coast today and then you don't have a job the next day because you called in sick. And listen to this, more than 350 people have died in the last decade trying to get that perfect selfie. People just literally falling off the Grand Canyon because they're trying to get that perfect selfie. You are now more likely to die from a selfie than you are a shark attack. That is, that's insane. 
we are living in a very self-absorbed culture right now. Everything's about me. Look at me, notice me, my opinion, my rights, my feelings, my perspective, my identity, my justice, me, 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 what's in it for me. I need to know the outcome. I need to know the result. I need to know how this affects me before I commit. Let me ask, do you, you know that one person with whom every time you have a conversation, they always seem to make it about them? All right, even if you call them and say, hey, I, I, let's go have coffee. I really need to talk to someone. I've got this struggle, this conflict, this situation that I'm going through. And so you go sit down, you have coffee, and within a few minutes, they've already made it about them. And at some point, you want to stop and say, hey, I called us here for me, all right, not for you. Or they're the type of person that no matter what you're going through, what they've gone through is so much worse. They have to one-up your story, right? Those of you that don't know, uh, Janet and I, by the way, this year we've been married 30 years in November, 30 years. We have four children, and when Janet was in labor with our fourth, they gave her epidural too high. So she was numb from the waist up instead of the waist down, which now we look back as kind of funny because her arms are just kind of flopping around. She, she couldn't talk. She, you know, she, was, she couldn't hardly feel her tongue, so she was slurring her speech. But then by the time they noticed, I mean, the baby was coming. Ella was on her way, and so they said, we can't, it's too late. We can't give your epidural to you now. That baby is on its way. So she felt every single pain of childbirth, which now when she tells the story, I'm like, okay, all right. I, I mean, I know that kind of pain. I've stepped on Legos at 3 a.m. in the morning. All right, I've caught my pinky toe on a chair before, all right? I know what pain is. And okay, I'm done, ladies. All right, I'm not trying to cook. <laughs> um, but we just look around in our culture today and we see very, distinct, very distinctly that among a lot of our problems is a lack of humility. It's a major issue. How can we tell? Because the opposite of, hu of humility is pride, the opposite of humility is arrogance. We live in a culture where it's wrong to say something's wrong, and that's wrong. <laughs> a culture where you have, you have your truth and I have my truth, but then they both can't be true. At some point, your truth is going to bump up against my truth, and then what? Then what's truth? I think Jesus settled this 2,000 years ago when he said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. And like we said We've, we've talked about this before. This is not a new concept. This happened all the way back with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when Satan showed up and said, hey, eat of this fruit. And Eve said, no, we can't eat of this one because the Lord said we would die. And Satan said, no, 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 eat it. You're not going to die. God doesn't want your mind to be open. He doesn't want you to be illuminated. What is one of the biggest lies that we hear in our culture today? Just be just be free, open your mind, Let you, just be illuminated. You see, Adam and Eve allowed their pride to override their humility. They allowed their pride to, be over, to override their obedience and then sin entered the world. FYI, pride is what got Satan literally thrown out of heaven. And then Satan used pride to turn humanity against God because Satan was telling them in the moment, you do you, boo. We hear that a lot, right? Having humility is a very big deal to God. 
Humility over pride, humility over arrogance is critical. When the pride in our lives overrides our humility, we are in very dangerous territory with God. In fact, the half-brother of Jesus, James, wrote this in chapter four. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you catch that? God opposes pride. He rejects pride. He pushes back against pride. I don't know about you, but I never want to be opposed by God. I never want to be in opposition with the creator of the universe. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brian talked about the fear of the Lord, and I firmly believe that a lot of a lot of the reason why people are indifferent about their pride or indifferent about being in opposition with God is because we no longer have a healthy fear of God. You see the irony? In America, we celebrate a lot of things that puts the focus on me instead of on Jesus. And when we do that, that's called pride. When I put attention and focus on my own selfish behaviors because it makes me feel good, I'm living in the pride of myself instead of in the humility of Jesus. But some, some of us would rather live in, the, in our pride and arrogance and believe that we are our own God, making our own way, creating our own rules and living the way that we want to live rather than submitting to an all-powerful God. But like we just read, that mentality is one that God rejects. When we want to do our own thing, God opposes that. Look what King Solomon says about this. This is some pretty strong language, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, which is pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Haughty eyes means to have an arrogant demeanor. It means to carry oneself with this attitude that's blatantly and disdainfully proud and thinking, I'm better than you. I'm better than them. I'm better than that group of people. Haughty eyes is having this deep-rooted and soul-sickened pride that sees others as less than and truly only caring about yourself. And notice that the scripture says that God hates that. That's a lot stronger language than just disliking, right? I mean, think about this. Not only does God hate pride, but it made the top of the list of six things that he hates. Lying coming in at number two, murder coming in at number three, pride being number one. Proverbs 16 and 18 says this, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Look how the message translation says it. First pride, then the crash. Humility is a big deal to God, like we've said. I believe the reason that pride is at the top of God's most hated list is because it truly is the root of all other sin. Remember, pride is Satan's specialty. Greed is rooted in pride. Lust, rooted in pride. Gossip, idol worship, rooted in pride. On and on and on. If you study any sin in scripture, you'll see, you'll be able to trace its roots back to pride. So we've got pride and arrogance over here. We've got humility over here. And we see that they're constantly in conflict. So how do we push 
pride and arrogance out of our lives, out of our minds, and truly live in a consistent life of uh, posture ourselves in, in a position of humility. How do we do that? We do that by pursuing Jesus. We do that by pursuing godly wisdom. Okay, let's go back to King Solomon. Let's see what he has to say about it. So if you're taking notes, here are three things, three things that God, that godly humility teaches me. Number one is this. Godly humility teaches me submission. It teaches me submission. Solomon was in complete submission to God when he asked for wisdom. So let me ask you, if given the same opportunity, would you have had enough humility to ask for wisdom? Or would you allow your pride to get in the way and only think about yourself? Think about it. If God were to say the same thing to you that he said to Solomon, which was, Solomon, ask of me anything and I'll give it to you. I think most of us would automatically think of the, 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 the most egregious issue that we're going through or the top five most pressing things in our lives and we would ask God to fix them. Even though some of those things we got ourselves into. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about a death in your family or maybe a sickness that you can't control. I'm talking about issues that you probably caused yourself to get into. We got ourselves into that, but then we asked God to get us out, which is really pride. Godly humility teaches submission. And some of us don't like that word submission. That's a trigger word in our culture today. Some are even offended by that word because we're being told in society that, you know, going back to what we just said, you do you, boo. You don't have to submit to anyone. You don't have to listen to anyone. You are, you are your own person. You are your own God. But if the word submission is offensive, then isn't that pride? Humility is submission. It's submitting to learning. It's submitting to correction. It's submitting to discipline. Humility is submitting to authority, even though some of us don't like that. First Peter chapter 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What are some other things that humility is? Humility is submitting to your spouse, even when they don't deserve it. It's submitting to a horrible boss. It's submitting to that annoying neighbor. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tommy talked about wise words. Humility is controlling my tongue. It's controlling my language. It's controlling my pride from saying something that could cause a lot of relational damage or even worse. Humility is apologizing without throwing in a but. Hey, I'm sorry that I said that to you, but you know what you did. Hey, I'm sorry I offended you. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I caused you pain. But the reason I did that, no, humility is just saying, you know what? That was wrong of me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I want to apologize. And then just walk away. And just in case you're listening to this message this morning and you're already thinking of someone else instead of yourself, you know, I wish my spouse was here. So they could hear this. I can't wait to send this message to my neighbor or to my coworker or to my relative because they have an issue with this, but I don't. <laughs> That's pride. Because pride blinds us of our issues and magnifies the issues of others. The lack of humility also keeps us in a very negative space. 
spiritually, mentally, emotionally, even relationally. Pride keeps us critical of others. So much, sometimes the people don't even want to be around us. We're constantly being negative, we're critical, never having anything nice to say about anyone because pride convinces me that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Here's one way to look at it. This isn't in your notes, but you can write this down if you want. The language of pride is complaining and criticism, but the language of humility is gratitude and encouragement. The language of pride is complaining and criticism, but the language of humility is gratitude and encouragement. Godly humility teaches me submission. Now listen, does that mean we're supposed to walk around and just let everybody take advantage of us? Nope. Use us, abuse us, treat us any way that they want? No, that's, that's, that's a message for another day. That's an entirely different subject. We're talking about today lowering our pride and living a humble life that mirrors and reflects the life and the spirit of Jesus, both inwardly and then demonstrating that outwardly. So humility teaches me submission. A second thing humility teaches me is to trust God's timing, to trust God's timing. Pride and arrogance say, I want it now. But humility says, I'm patient enough to wait on God. I want God's will and God's way in my life. Pride says, I'm going to force the issue and get the result that I want, to get the outcome I want. But humility says, not my will, Father, but yours be done in my life. Pride says, I deserve that promotion. I deserve that position. I deserve that raise. Now, it's not wrong to desire those things. We should always be bettering ourselves and have goals and have vision. There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve yourself and have aspirations. But pride says, I'm going to pursue that no matter the cost. Are we willing to sacrifice too much time away from our family for it? If so, that's pride. Are we willing to lie to throw our coworkers under the bus for it? If so, that's pride. Are we willing to exaggerate our skill set, puff ourselves up for the position? If so, that's pride. Are we willing to compromise our morals, our values, our faith beliefs? Because that's pride. Because listen, humility will always take us so much further anyway. Look what came out of the mouth of Jesus himself in Luke 14. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. When it comes to your job, when it comes to your career, humility is walking into a conference. It's walking into that boardroom. It's walking into that seminar, that meeting, admitting that you're not the smartest person in the room, nor do you want to be because it keeps you in a position to be taught. Yes, you should believe in yourself. Yes, you should be confident in your experience. Yes, you be uh, you should be confident in your talents and your skills and your giftings, but only because you realize that all of those things are given to you by God. When you're humble enough to say, God has given me this promotion. God has given me this blessing. God has given me this relationship. God has given me this gift. I'm not going to force it, but instead I'm going to trust God's timing. Proverbs 18 says that a person's gift makes room for them and brings them before great men. Translation, that means that your pride 
will force your gift in front of important people. But humility creates healthy opportunities. You might say, but Jeremy, (laughs) I've worked really hard to get where I am. I've worked countless hours. I went to school. I got my education. I've gone above and beyond. I've sacrificed. I feel like I need to circumvent the system to get my name at the top so that I can be recognized and noticed. But look what Solomon said about that in Proverbs 27. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Trust God's timing. If you're in a season of waiting today, trust me, I know it is tough. I've been there so many times in my own life. I know it can be discouraging. I know you're asking, some of you may be asking the big question to God, when, God, when is my time? But be humble. Trust God's timing. This is part of that submission piece that we talked about earlier. So I'm, I'm 51 years old now. I felt like God was kind of pulling me and nudging me into ministry when I was 19. 19 years old is when I felt like God was calling me into ministry to be a pastor. It didn't happen until I was 33. 14 years went by. I was in corporate world, wondering year after year after year, God, when's my time? I felt like you called me to do this you know, four, thir- 14, 13 years ago, it still hasn't happened. Now, I remember clearly when I was 32, 32 years old, I was in my truck, I was on my way to work, it was four o'clock in the morning, and I remember driving, it was in the dark, and I remember just crying out to God. I was so frustrated, I was so upset, had tears going down my cheek, and I remember banging on my steering wheel saying, God, when? I know you called me into this. It's been 13 years. When is it going to happen? You see, I allowed my pride to tell God when it's supposed to happen instead of allowing him to tell me. And then I heard this whisper in my spirit say, until you see what you're doing now as your ministry, I can't move you forward. And that day I began looking at my clients and my customers as that was the church I was pastoring. And it wasn't six months later, Janet and I moved out to Colorado and started full-time ministry. I need to tell some of you this morning, God has not forgotten about you. God sees you. He remembers you. He loves you. And his ways for you are so much bigger than yours. His ways for you are so much higher than yours. But stay humble. Do not allow your pride to get ahead of God. So godly humility teaches me submission. It teaches me to trust God's timing. And the final thing God's hum- godly humility teaches me is to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Now, this is where we learn the source of humility. This is where the rubber meets the road. It's in a, a few scriptures that the apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, what attitude was that? Here we go. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
This is where we see the true humility of our Savior, that he would leave his position in heaven. The second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God the Son would leave his position in heaven and come down to be born as a human baby. Why? To die for us. To pay a debt that you and I could never pay. And with humility, he allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood, his perfect divine blood to spill out on the ground as a sacrifice for our sin. And even with humility, cried out while he was on the cross right before he died, Father, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. That is true divine humility. That is the humility of our Savior. And because we call ourselves his followers, we are to pattern our life of humility after the one that he modeled for us. So what are some other examples of humility? What are some other examples of humility? Humility is waking up on a Sunday morning, acknowledging that God allowed you to wake up, to take the breath into your lungs, that the roof over your house, the food in your stomach, the car that you drove to get here, that all of that belongs to God, all that is given to you by God because he is Jehovah Jireh, your great provider. And when you acknowledge that, you say, since God has been so good to me, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And so you bring your family here on Sundays to be in community with other believers. That's humility. Humility is acting in obedience and surrendering a percentage of your resources and your generosity. You say, you know what? It's all God's anyway. So I'm going to give a little of this back to God. It may have my boss's name on the check. It may have my company's name on the, uh, on the account that gets deposited into my account. However often you get paid, once a week, once every two, two weeks, once a month or whatever. But knowing, guess what? That is coming from God. And because of that, I'm going to surrender a portion or a percentage of this back over to him. That's humility. Humility is serving on one of our volunteer teams here at New Life. Because you realize that when you serve others, you're actually serving Jesus. Whether you're an usher or a greeter or back there at the tech or you're up here playing an instrument or you're serving with kids or you're making coffee or you're doing stuff midweek, you're saying that as I serve others, I know that I'm serving Jesus. That is humility. Humility is also waking up a few minutes early and implementing spiritual disciplines in your life like praying or reading scripture or spending some time in silence and solitude with Jesus before you start your day. Humility is praying over your spouse. It's praying over your children. Humility is honoring your parents. There's so much wrapped up in this word humility. And you're sitting here this morning like, Jeremy, that's a lot. I don't have time for all that. Praying and reading scripture and serving and giving a, a, a portion of my, of, of my pay back to the church. I don't have time for any of that. I'm so busy, Jeremy. That's a lot to do. If that is you, isn't that pride? Because pride says, I'm too busy. Humility says, I'm making time for that because my life is not about me. It's about Jesus. If you're a C.S. Lewis fan, maybe you've read his famous uh, screw tape letters in the past. The kingdom, if you read through that, those letters, the kingdom that the enemy is trying to build and establish is one of busyness. Why? Because busyness keeps you distracted. 
Busyness keeps you focused on you. I'm beginning to believe that above anything else, Satan wants to keep us busy. Too busy to read our Bible, too busy to pray, too busy to come to church, too busy to connect with other believers, too busy to care about what's going on in our culture, in our schools, in our government. In fact, I believe busyness could actually be the greatest threat to the Christian life. Not politics, not policy, not division. Indeed, all of those things are serious threats and causing all sorts of evil in our world today. But I believe the greatest threat to us being deeply connected with Jesus is busyness. And pride is the root of busy. Humility says less of me and more of Jesus. Psalm 149 says this, for the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with what? Victory. You want to win in your life? You want victory in your life? You want to win in your marriage? You want to win in your parenting? You want victory in your career, your relationships, especially in your relationship with Jesus? Then be humble. Grow in humility and push away pride. And how do we do it? By pursuing Jesus, by pursuing godly wisdom. So here's three challenges that I want to leave you with today. Three challenges, should you choose to accept them. Three challenges. Number one, repent of pride and arrogance. You think, Jeremy, that's a strong word. Yeah, it's all through scripture, repent. You know what that means? Stop going the direction you're going, turn around and go the other way. So stop going in the the direction of pride and arrogance. Turn around and go towards humility. Repent of pride and arrogance. What areas in your life are driven by pride and arrogance? And where do you need humility? And here's something that might sting. If you don't know what those areas are, ask someone. Ask your spouse. Ask your boss. (laughs) Ask your kids. They'll tell you. And just be ready and remember, don't get defensive when they tell you what those areas are because if you do, that's pride. You can also ask God to reveal those places to you and then just simply repent, simply pray, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my pride. Help me to live in and walk with humility and not pride and arrogance. I wanna be guided and driven by humility. I don't wanna be guided and driven by my pride. I want to be like you, be humbled and submitted to the Father. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two is this. Put someone else's needs above your own. Find several opportunities. Even if you just find one opportunity, put a reminder in your phone, put a a sticky tab somewhere that where you will see it every day that says, put someone else's need above mine today. It could be anywhere. And the third challenge is do something good for someone this week anonymously something you won't get the credit for, you won't get the praise for, you won't get the accolades for, you won't get the attaboys for, make cookies for people in your office, write thank you cards to people, don't sign it, let people know how important they are to you, what they mean to you in your life. So number one, repent of pride and arrogance. Number two, put someone else's needs above above your own. And number three, do something good for someone anonymously. Church, I believe that if we all will learn to act 
and grow in humility and push away pride and arrogance, you're gonna see amazing benefits in your life. Your, your relationship with Jesus is gonna become so much closer and then us as a church will become so much tighter because we'll start to see others more importantly than ourselves. Will you bow your heads? Jesus, thank you for modeling a life of humility. Thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago on that cross, Lord, for allowing your body to be broken, your blood to be spilled out as a sacrifice for our sin. Thank you for bringing us back into a right relationship with God. We bless you today. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus as I'm praying, Lord, I pray that you will begin to reveal places in all of our lives where we need to push out pride and arrogance, places in our lives where we've been way too proud, maybe relationships that need to be mended, circumstances, issues in our life, Lord, where we've thought of ourselves as better than others. Father, the times where we just can't admit being wrong. Lord, let us see that we are to be living our life for you and not for ourselves. Father, we just ask for more humility in our lives. Let us live a life humbled like you, Jesus. This morning, we surrender to you. We trust you with our lives. We repent. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of our arrogance. Let us grow in humility. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for allowing me to speak this morning. Uh, I miss my Patterson people, but it's great to come over to the east side every now and then and uh, speak to you guys. Hey, have a great week. Don't forget all the announcements that Pastor Brett gave earlier. Which have a great week. Stay cool, and we will see you next Sunday. God bless.